Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, who I can see, we can see each other now on this new recording platform. He's hopping foot to foot, he's only hours away from Brighton's first adventure in Europe, Kieran. How are you feeling now? Well, I'm pretty good, but I've had to go and buy a new pair of shoes, which has upset me somewhat. Because Finley, whenever somebody comes to the door, he gets very excited and and he goes and fetches one of my shoes and he runs around with it because I think he wants to try to avoid sort of giving a puppy bite to anybody. So he, he sort of uh, tr- tries to have something in his mouth so that he, he, he can't. And he also likes to show off that he can pick up shoes. Um, and about a week ago... He's, I don't know what he's done with it, but I'm 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 down a shoe, so I've had to go and buy a new pair of shoes, and it's, it's not not me at all. It's not it's not much of a dog show off work here, is it? Look, I can carry a shoe. That's what he's that sort of dog. He's designed to carry things, isn't he? In his in his he is, mind, he's a, he's a, he's a gun dog. Mind, yes, in his mouth. <laughs> and what happens when the man arrives to deliver your shoes? Well, I, I'll I'll grab the box from him and perhaps he can have the other shoe. I, I've only got I've only got one pair of shoes, so it's, it's been, it caused me not, a huge crisis. You have not only got one pair of shoes. Well, I've got, I've got a pair of Wellington boots walking <laughs> for, for when it's raining. I've got a pair of shoes and I've got a pair of trainers for the gym and that's it. <laughs> I'm sure the Baroness would love to take you shoe shopping here and I can imagine how long your attention span would last. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine how long our listeners' attention span has lasted already with two minutes of off-the-cuff banter about dogs and shoes. Of, of, of BAFTA-destroying content. <laughs> it's it's Newsday, uh, Kieran. Um, we won't keep you too long, as I know you're excited about tonight, and rightly so. Um, and I've decided that's the last time I'm going to be generous about the whole thing. I'm popping out myself to buy an AEK Athens uh, bobble hat, if there is such a thing. Um, a couple of big news stories, Kieran, and the first one involves one of the biggest clubs in Europe. Yes, this is a strange one in the sense that uh, it's to do with uh, Paris Saint-Germain. And uh, I I hadn't spotted this, and it's, it's clearly something which has gone under the radar. But during the summer 23 window, they sold players for around about 85 million. And that's fine. You know, and we also know that uh, yeah, Lionel Messi has left and so on. But they, they sold teams for 85 million uh, to clubs in Qatar. And of course, PSG themselves are only in Qatar. And a lot of people have been saying, how on earth have PSG managed to keep within the uh, UEFA financial fair play limits? If you've got Messi, Mbappe and Neymar there, uh, they're on huge salaries. So clearly they've they've got to shift some costs off, and, and yes, Neymar's now gone, and Messi's gone, and so on. But even so, the numbers didn't seem to add up. So you know, the likes of uh, you know Draxler or Verratti were sold, and people are going, are they are they playing football in Qatar? Yeah, because you get no no news about it whatsoever. So there has been accusations made. <clears throat> it will come as as no surprise that our very good friend uh, Javier Tebas. Uh, of La Liga 
has apparently gone apoplectic with regards to these sales and saying it's he's, he's got a real bee in his bonnet about PSG and he's saying it's further evidence of a, of a lack of integrity with regards to transfers. So UEFA, by all accounts, and, and there's been nothing confirmed from UEFA, so we're having to take this on, on through the likes of, of Marca, which is, uh, as many people know, is the Real Madrid uh, pet newspaper. Um, uh, it, it, UEFA are going to investigate to see whether these transfers are at market value or not. But what is the market value for a player? You know, that there's uh, there's no there's no right figure. Uh, so so we'll have to wait and see with that one. But further indication of the the machinations and the uh, the Machiavellian way that football works. My question, Kieran, um, sounds like um, the question of somebody who doesn't necessarily know what he's talking about. But that's my role on this pod, so I'm quite happy to to answer it. It, it it's where you wait for fit in with Qatar. Surely, if there's going to be a full investigation towards both clubs, it would have to be FIFA that did it. Qatar have got no obligation whatsoever to, to respond to a UEFA investigation, have they? So it's it's essentially it's PSG that are being uh, investigated by UEFA rather than both clubs, I guess. Is that right? Yes, you're absolutely right in the sense that there is no equivalent of financial fair play in the Asian football leagues, um, which is perhaps just as well because there's there's quite a uh, there's quite a good uh, Twitter account. I think it's called Get Saudi Football Saudi Pro League News, um, and they put out the attendances in the Saudi Pro League each week. And this last weekend they averaged five thousand, which is sort of you know, League One, League Two. One match at one hundred and thirty three people attending, and you've got these players on eye-watering salaries. So so there is no problem from the Qatari point of view, but you're absolutely right. This is whether or not PSG will have breached the rules in terms of their relationship with QSI and, and the Qatari football authorities um, and are therefore making additional money from, from these sales. We, we've question before you know certainly we take you take a look at Watford's relationship with Udinese and you know it's about 30 transfers that have taken place um as to uh, the degree of uh, transparency and market value involved in those deals as well are you telling me Kieran that Jordan Henderson bravely off his own bat has launched a solo bid to change the culture of Saudi Arabian football uh, and society, and in doing so, is only playing in front of around five thousand people every week. I am indeed. Yes, well, that's from, uh, from from small acorns, large oaks can grow. Yeah. Could be up to six thousand by the end of the season. You never know. It, it could indeed. Yeah, large oaks, and um, with oaks being a euphemism for money in that situation. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> we're still no closer, Kieran, to knowing how serious the takeover deal by seven 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 of Everton is, but <laughs> there's an indication if it does happen, it could actually cost Everton some money before it does. Yes, and I think I think we hinted at this um, a few days ago when, when the story did first break. And, and the reason for this is that there are significant loans 
um, outstanding. You know, well over 100 million, probably around about 140 million pounds worth. And, and there could be even be further ones which have taken place. Um, and because of the change of control clauses that exist, and, th- and this is, th- th- this does make sense. You know, it, it, it's a bit like if, if you had a house and a mortgage and you sold, and somebody else, you sold the house to somebody else, um, your your mortgage company would say, well, hold on, you know, we lent the money to Kevin, not to the new owner. This new owner could be a bad credit risk for all we know, and, and therefore we, we're not prepared to lend to them. So th- this is fair, fairly standard practice, but um, yeah, 777 partners, it, yeah, it, it, it's looking more and more each day as 999 rather than 777, <laughs> such is the uh, degree of concern. And trying to get common sense. Now, now I was in contact with with somebody fairly senior. I can't, I can't, I can't say who. Um, and and they said, you know, I'm reasonably confident that any sale to Seven Seven will be blocked, and presumably by oh. the um, by by the Premier League. Now, you know, that's that's not on the basis of having seen all of the evidence, but. Um, the background of 777, and a lot of people say, well, where are they getting all this money from? Because the, the clubs that they're owning, the clubs they're investing in, they're not making profits. 777 as a fund was only set up in around about 2015, 2016 um, from a football point of view. They they invest in airlines. Well, you know, as we said the other day, airlines aren't making money because of fuel prices and, and People aren't necessarily flying as often as they can. The only place that they appear to be making money from is is something called structured payments, and this is this is again it's sort of uh, banker and finance speak for glorified payday loans. What happens is because things are so litigious in the United States, quite often somebody will sue a hospital or a, a medical company or somebody else and be awarded a large payout. But what those payouts tend to do is it could be that you've been awarded $25 million, but that's $1 million for each of the next 25 years in terms of a, you know, you've got a, a lawsuit against a hospital. Now, it could be that you've been injured and, and you need more than that $1 million. So this is where 777 come in. They say, well, you've got 25 payments of, of $1 million. Tell you what, we'll, we'll give you $10 million now. We'll give you $20 million now. And we'll collect the money on your behalf. Um, over the course of the next few years. So th- they've been quite good at picking up money um, in, in early doors and been borrowing that themselves, but borrowing rates have gone up, gone through gone through the ceiling. So that part of the business doesn't look particularly profitable to me either. Yeah, Kieran, I sometimes worry that this pod has taken the edge off the enjoyment and optimism of some football fans. It was, it was two years ago when we didn't exist... I think the the idea of Everton being taken over would have been a very happy one for most Everton fans, but because a lot of them listen to this, they're automatically suspicious now. But one thing I've noticed you've been asked quite a lot this week on social media is that when it comes to the owners and directors test, which person at 777 is is the one chosen to be tested, it, it, assuming that is, it is one specific person? Well, it is all people who are significantly involved in the decision-making process. Right. So, therefore, that would include Josh Wander, 
who is the guy that had the slight powder-related complications in his life about mm-hmm. 20 years ago, yeah. um, but will be some of the other senior partners as well. And then there is sort of a threshold. If, if anybody owns more than 30% of a potential investor, they tend to get in. They tend to get investigated by the Premier League. And the Premier League, A, is very thorough, and B, is extremely conscious that it's under an awful lot of scrutiny itself at present, and it wants to present to the world that it can do things appropriately because all the time it's lobbying, or rather it's using lobbying agencies to dissuade the government to go ahead with the the proposed legislation with regards to the independent regulator. Mm. Now, Kieran, back in the day, uh, on, on a Saturday evening, around about quarter past two, in somewhere like the, the cat's whiskers of blessed memory in Streatham, you and I were probably used to being third choice for someone in a hurry to get out of there. But I'm not sure that Reading will be entirely happy to be what seems to be the third choice of somebody looking to buy a club. Yes. Um, this involves a gentleman called William Storey. And he has previously... Uh, attempted to acquire Sunderland. And, and you've got to give a huge amount of credit to Sunderland fans here who did some digging into his background. William Storey has also been involved with a Formula One team where things, I think it's politely, didn't work out. He was sponsoring a, a Formula One team. I think it was Haas. Um, he is an owner of... or. Uh, a part owner of quite a few companies, one of which is called um, Lightning Vault. And this is an energy drinks company. Um, Lightning Vault um, is for a drinks company, recently went into liquidation, which uh, I I find quite ironic as as somebody somebody that likes company's house. Um, But if if you Google William Story, Formula One and fraud... Um, you, you'll get you, you get a few stories coming up with regards to him. I'm not saying that those stories are true, because you know, we're not cynics on the show. We we try to approach everything with a positive uh, aspect. He was also linked at uh, Coventry City, so you would think that any existing owner with any common sense would say, "Let's avoid um, Mr. Story, who, who he looks like one of the guys from ZZ Top." You know, so he's he is. Quite, uh, quite her suit. Um, but owners and common sense don't always exist. So by all accounts, William Storey rocked up at the select leasing stadium, uh, Reading's new home. Uh, we still call them Majeski, of course, by all of us, yeah. uh, because that's that's we're, we're football fans. Um, and th- there's no doubt that the existing owner, and you know, we've had people from the Reading supporters groups on the show, is extremely unpopular, doesn't appear to be keen to invest in the club. But William Storey is, it, it's, it's out of the, uh, it's out of the frying pan and, and, in, and into Satan's underpants in <laughs> terms of, uh, you know, just how hot it would be in terms of his, his track record. So, I would imagine the EFL, if this if this does take any progress, um, the EFL have upped their game significantly, and and we're 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 going to we'll get we'll get some of the guys from the EFL onto the show shortly to to explain 
how the owners and directors test and the new financial reporting rules, how that's uh, how it's been. Because I've, I've been very impressed with the, the degree of forensic uh, care that they take into protecting uh, clubs from inappropriate people. Not that I'm saying uh, William Story is, but his track record's dreadful. Yeah, uh, luckily the EFL started upping their game just after we finished the book. So all the stuff in the book is still perfectly valid. The trouble with Reading fans, Kieran, is that, that Die Young is so, so unpopular with them that a lot of Reading fans will probably think, how how much worse could it be? We might as well give the, the, the bloke who looks like he's from ZZ Top, as my dad used to insist on calling him, <laughs> uh, a fair go. I, I hope, Kieran, and I I've, know I've, I've said this five or six times about this story in the past, I hope that this is the last time we ever have to mention this dreadful story again about Cardiff City and Emiliano Sala. Yes. Um, yeah, Emiliano Sala, young, a young man who tragically died in, in an aviation accident, you know, crossing the channel, having just signed for Cardiff, was it you know, three seasons ago now? Um so Cardiff City have reached a settlement with an insurance company. Um, and this is all to do with were they insured for him to be on that flight? And I think the value of the settlement. Now, I think the value of the settlement isn't as high as Cardiff City would want it to be, but I suspect it will still be a substantial amount of money. So they've they've agreed a final sum with Miller Insurance Services. Um, this will be of no solace to his family, to, to those people who loved him, to his friends and so on. And, and this is where we, we do feel sort of very much the, the tawdry side of football in the sense that Emilio Sala's death is treated as a piece of inventory yeah. being lost. Yeah, it's it's not that, and I'm sure that there is nobody at Cardiff that that has taken any pleasure in any any of this or any way, shape, or form. But at times, the way that it's been conducted, with accusations between the two clubs and uh, the the players' agent and so on, some things are best kept private and selectively sing. So, so no, not select, selective leaking from one party or another. Is just horrible, and I know that journalists, you know, they they they're keen to dig out stories, and there's there is there is a case for saying that there is a public interest element to this, but historically, some of it to me just looked terrible. Can you reassure me, Kieran, that this is the end of the story now? It, it's the end of the story as far as this particular claim is concerned. I don't think we're at the end of the road with regards to the settlement of the fees between Cardiff and, and the French club. Um, right. Because I believe Cardiff have paid one instalment, and there there are issues to do with the remainder. But um, I suspect, yeah, I, ideally it gets sorted, and we don't get to hear about it. Yeah, and, and of course, it will never be the end of the story for the young man's family and friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I should point out to people who are listening then that that, that strange noise you may have heard was um, my home phone going off. Um, uh, followed by me jumping in the air because it's been some years since the home phone went off. Kira, I don't know. Have, have you got a landline? 
I, I do have a landline, yeah. but I don't know my landline number. No, nor do I. I such, such is such is the the lack of frequency, and also due to the fact that we do live in the middle of nowhere, so the signals pretty rubbish anyway yeah I, 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 I think we probably need to explain to younger listeners what a landline is it's or a home phone it's, it's kind of like a big phone that you can't take out with you essentially i mean it pretty much explains it i don't know, young people are going well, what's the point of a phone you can't take out with you you have to be indoors to listen to it yeah i remember when we used to phone ireland when i was a kid you had to phone up the operator the day before and book a line because there was only one, seemed to be only one wire going under the Irish Sea. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Everton are not the only club with potential American buyers, Kieran. Um, Carlisle United are also flirting with some Americans, but they've put some um, caveats, shall we say, on any potential deal? Yes, yes, and and rightly so, because when you're buying anything, you, you need to know exactly what comes as part of that package. If the, I think it's called the Piatak family, uh, American investors, um, they have expressed an interest. I think there have been negotiations with the shareholders of Carlisle with regards to a takeover. Um, they want to acquire the assets of the club. So that will be you know, the stadium, the training facility, the, the contracts of the players, uh, you know, the, the goodwill of, of, the, of the fans and so on, which, is, which are all assets. And, and they will have worked that out as a value. Um, but if you buy the shares of a company, you not only acquire its assets, you also acquire its liabilities, i.e. its debts. And Carlisle United was in a relationship with an organisation called Edinburgh Woolen Mills. Um, and Edinburgh Woolen Mills went into administration. And the administrators sold the debt, which was due from Carlisle to Edinburgh Woolen Mills, to a company called PurePay. Now, PurePay itself is owned by a very, very rich individual. Um, and he's been silent. Yeah, and the Carlisle board, and, and Carlisle, by the way, they, they produce excellent accounts. Yeah, I've got nothing but admiration. And I know some people at Carlisle. They, 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 are, they are proper custodians of clubs. Yeah, they, they tick all of our boxes in, in terms of what they want as far as the club is concerned to be representative of, of the of the surrounding area to to, to be a you know a hub and yeah you know, all of the things which we feel are, are beneficial that football can bring but once again pure pay has said nothing and, and they've had nothing but silence so 
the, the Patiaks have said, and, and rightly so, this debt's around about two and a half million pounds. Now, there's a hell of a difference between buying a football club for X with no debt and buying a football club for X when following day you, you get a you get a phone call, you get an email and say, by the way, that two and a half million quid, yeah, yeah, we'd we'd like it next week if you don't mind. So this is proving to be a a stumbling block as as far as the deal is concerned. And what I can't understand is the lack of communication from Pure Pay. If 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 they give an indication one way or the other, then at least people can proceed because that will have an impact upon a price, uh, and and then you know the, the club will have a, a slightly different future. Um, it's another American owner because they've watched Ted Lasso, they've watched Welcome to Wrexham. Yeah, as we said all along, compared to buying an American sporting franchise. You know, the, the sums involved here, which will be low millions in all probability, are are, are very acceptable to American investors. Mm. Assuming there was no two and a half billion pound debt, Kieran, what would you value Carlisle United at? If, if I'm honest, I, th- I think I'd probably be looking at, at single millions. Oh, okay. You know, um, so it's it, it, it's a lot of money for for an individual, but if you know there are many successful people in in the world of business. And uh, I, I think uh, it would be uh, it'd be a good one to to buy. I, mean, I I remember once doing a day trip from Brighton to Carlisle by train. Yeah, you can you can remember those days from from the eighties when when the trains were uh, slightly more frequent and slightly more reliable than that today. And it, it was it's, it was a great place for a day out. I I remember it's probably the coldest I've ever been at a football match, and it was in August. It was. Uh, it turned autumn, out autumn, as it's described. Or, it, yeah, it, it turned out that a a Joy Division T-shirt wasn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked, Kieran, about how it took the the mere notion of an independent regulator to get the Premier League and the EFL to get round a table and discuss ways of distributing money. We also talked about the fact that somebody within the Premier League told me in confidence that you know. What have the EFL got to negotiate with? Nothing, mm. um, and yet it seems that the EFL might might be in line for some money for the Premier League. Yes, this was a story which uh, which did appear in one of the newspapers where it says that there's going to be a and the Premier League has meetings every month of chief executives or of chairman of owners etc. Um, there have been meetings between the Premier League and the EFL with regards to revising the amount of money which comes from the Premier League to the EFL. Now, the figure that's been quoted to the press is an additional £130 million. And that sounds a lot, but you have individual clubs in the Premier League who make twice that amount um, in in a year. Now, what impact would that have? Well, um, yeah, that's going to be split between ninety-two clubs, so it's between seventy-two clubs. So we are we are talking sizable amounts, and eighty percent of it will go to clubs in the EFL Championship. So there are some you know, quite significant numbers involved. I think we're probably talking you know around about another three to four million pounds a year for for clubs in the Championship, for example. Um, so that's 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 the story which has been released. Yeah, we've all got 
context. So you've got, you know, somebody at the Premier League. I, I know somebody connected with another club or another institution. And their response to me was, this is the Premier League leaking stroke briefing what it considers to be a positive story. And we're a long way from agreeing such a deal. Um, once again, it's to do with you know, the Premier League uh, employs agencies to uh, to brief the press, to, to act on its behalf. You, you, you never hear, do you? You never hear any of the owners of the big six say anything with regards to distribution or the broader issues in football, because those are the people who were behind Project Big Picture, which was the attempt to concentrate power and money in the hands of the Glazers and FSG and Abramovich and and so on. Um, And it's it's left to the, the people from the smaller clubs, or we are now using PR agencies, some of which are really stroppy. (laughs) <laughs> because I get I get stroppy calls from them. I go, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'm more than happily. To, you know, we've offered the Premier League on more than one occasion to come onto the show, and you know, we are cuddly, aren't we? We've we've never asked a, a Paxman style question no. in our lives to anybody because you know, I, I, I'm firmly of belief that if somebody's a guest, then you, you don't say that you're you you you, you tie an underpants. Fail to match. Yeah, I quite, I quite agree. If my advice to you, Kieran, if you are having trouble getting rid of stroppy PR people, is just say to them, "I've only got one pair of shoes." <laughs> they'll, they'll they will put the phone down almost immediately. I guarantee <laughs> yes. that, Kieran. Um, in terms of our respective contacts, uh, older listeners will remember the film Crocodile Dundee, of course, with the immortal line, "Call that a knife? This is a knife." If I were to show you my contact book, Kieran, you would respond in exactly the same way. Because between us, we have some 10,002 contacts. I have two contacts, essentially. Um, Two postings from Scottish clubs, Kieran, which indicate the financial reality of life up there. Yes. Um, First of all, Celtic announced their results for 22-23. They are... Uh, magnificent. They are absolutely spectacular. Um, it's the highest revenue ever generated by a Scottish club, around about 119 million pounds. Um, to put that again, I think it's always you know, numbers are are just numbers. You need to contextualise things. Celtic generate more money than all of the other clubs in the SPFL put together. With if you exclude Rangers, yeah, yeah. So. That is why where they are as far as, as Scottish football is concerned. They also made a £40 million profit. Again, that will be the highest profit ever generated by a Scottish club. Part of that was due to you know, they sold Jota, but Celtic always sell you know, a couple of players each year. Part of that was due to Ange Postacoglu going to Spurs. They got compensation for that. We don't know how much compensation it is because it's it's linked to an insurance claim, but those two figures together were £13.5 million. Pounds. And, and I suspect that the majority of that would have been in respect of the, the coach moving. And I, you know, my... My my neighbour Paul, he's, he's a Spurs fan. He says worth every penny, and and all, all the Spurs fans that I teach, talk to say, uh, you know, it, it's been quite transformative in terms of what they're seeing on the pitch. Um, so yeah, superb figures. They've got cash in the bank. They've made profits. They've got revenues are up. Um, 
they're in a very, very strong financial position. And that contrasts with St. Johnson. Um, and St. Johnson had a, had a modest season in the SPFL last season. They, they lost money. They lost one and a half million pounds. And for a club that's only got average crowds of yeah, 5,000, losing 30 grand a week is pretty significant. And I think they're now going to be in a, in a period of retrenchment because if you're losing that type of money on an annual basis, somebody's got to go and find it in their back pocket. And you know, there's, there's a limited number. Um, there's a limited number of shakes in Perth. <laughs> yeah. Ipswich Town, Kieran, planning a multi-million pound rebuild of their training ground. Where's the money going to come from? Um, this this is coming from the owners. So so we had uh, was it Mark Ashton, wasn't it, from Ipswich yes. on the show? Very good. Um, a few months ago, they they are in the championship now. So that immediately increases their broadcast income from round about one and a half million to to round about eight. So that, so they've got more money coming. They've clearly got more money going out because players will be um, having tiered you know up tiered their their wages and they'll be recruiting players on on championship wages but it does appear that the the new owners who are again american based um i think ipswich have made a uh, an impressive start to to life back in the championship Very impressive. and, and yeah. they they feel that they've got to have a long term strategy and if you take a look at those clubs that have invested in the academy you look at the amount of money that the likes of, of you know, I appreciate that they're, they're slightly different pond, but Chelsea and Manchester City, they're forever selling academy players for tens of millions. It is a worthwhile investment. You're not going to get an instant return on that investment. You've got to be patient. But then when they start to come through, you can certainly see the benefits. So it looks like the US investors see their role within Ipswich as, as being a long-term rather than a short-term one. And I think this is further evidence of that. This next story, Kieran, we need, we need to mention it, but I'm not sure how much detail we should go into um, just in terms of our own legal status, but it relates to the trial, the recent trial of Fleetwood Town owner Andy Pilly. Yes. What what I can say is what is in the public domain as far as the the story is concerned. So uh, Andy Pilly was found guilty and is and he's, he's, he's serving an appropriate sentence. Um, but according to one of the jurors on the trial, um, they were approached in a car park um, by, and I quote, Big blokes with southern accents. So <laughs> I've, I've I've been to my uncle Terry, and, and I've said, can I just go and have a check of your uh, just go quickly check your your train tickets uh, history, Uncle T. Um, and by all accounts, the the juror was initially offered twenty thousand pounds to, and I quote, fix the trial, and he was advised, or she was advised. Um, that failure to accept the bribe would result in, again, using this word in quotation marks, consequences. Right. Now, you know what the word consequences said in a South London accent sounds like, mm. and it can be quite intimidating. Um, the juror claims that they were followed around. Um, the juror, I think, reported this to the court and subsequently went to live abroad for a period of time because they, they, they didn't feel comfortable. They have reported it to the police. The police's initial reaction was yeah, not particularly interested, but 
apparently they're taking it slightly more seriously now. So it is a tenuous link to to football, but it does involve a football club owner. And again, I think it it is indicative of perhaps a period of time where we didn't have a thorough owners and directors test. And therefore, anybody could could buy a football club. Having said that, would there be enough indication today? You know, if EFL did a, a check on, on somebody with, with this type of background. Um, the nature of fraud is that people are being you know, misrepresented and, and it is actually very difficult to, to spot at times. You know, somebody that, that used to do forensic work um, as an accountant, it, it, you know, there's been many accountants who have been duped as well historically. So would the regulator have stopped this? I'm not so certain. Would the EFL under its existing rules have been able to identify that there could have been some red flags? Again, I'm, I'm not, not so certain. And that's not a criticism of either of these uh bodies because you know, I think if, if, they, if it does go ahead it will be positive but it does show that, that football is a moth to a flame when it comes to people who, who want the kudos and, and the status um, and sometimes their backgrounds aren't necessarily ones you want to be particularly proud of. Mm, well, I mean that sounds like a terrifying experience for the mm. the juror um, another legal matter the Asian Football Confederation the entire Asian Football Confederation may find itself in court soon, but they're being sued. Yes, um, this is to do with MCOs, multi-club ownership arrangements. Under the Asian Football Confederation's own constitution, uh, in order to, pre- to preserve the integrity of the competition, and I think this is going to be a huge issue going forwards for FIFA because if FIFA have its has its world club competition, which is we're having clubs from UEFA, Asia, South America, Africa, and so on, um, what happens if you've got an organisation which which owns two clubs which go into that competition? And we've seen some of the issues arising in relation to UEFA. So, you know, I think we mentioned a few days ago with uh, you know, Tony Bloom at Brighton and Villa's owners having to, to divest their investments. Um, the City Football Group, which owns, you know, Manchester City is the flagship, um, it does own two clubs which are in the Asian Football Confederation. It owns Mumbai City and Melbourne City, but they've never played each other yet because the, the Asia, you know, Asia is a pretty big place and that the, the the groups for the teams tend to be organised regionally, and uh, Mumbai to Melbourne, they, they, you don't tend to get many away fans. Uh, huh. You know, hop, 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 hopping on a hopping on a train for that one. Um, so that that has been an issue, but I think what we now have with um, organisations such as PIF which owns four clubs in Saudi Arabia, what happens if two of those clubs, for example, qualify for the the, the Asian equivalent of the Champions League? Um, that would cause potential consternation. And there have been, I think, complaints from clubs in Korea and Japan and so on to say, well, well hold on, you know, we want to make sure that when our clubs are entering, 
that there's not going to be the equivalent, and we always bring it up because we're old blokes, of Austria versus Germany yeah. many, many years ago, which, which to, to the untrained eye, looked like a complete stitch-up yeah. uh, to allow both clubs to proceed in the, in the World Cup. I, I know you've got um, somewhere to go, Kieran, so we want to uh, wrap up the last two stories. But I, I pause here just to say, Kieran, can you imagine the reaction if it had been me that said Asia is a pretty big place? <laughs> I mean, with my lack of geographical notes, that's the sort of thing I would be pulled up on immediately. Uh, but it's, it's, you can say it without with impunity. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by Manscaped. September is here, and we want to take a second to talk about self-care. When it comes to making an impression, proper grooming is essential to looking and feeling your best when you walk into a room. That's why Manscaped are committed to help men around the world walk and talk with some swagger this season with the best grooming tools on the market. Join the 9 million men worldwide, including me, who trust Manscaped by using the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL at manscaped.com to get 20% off and free shipping. Don't neglect your beautiful self and get right this autumn with Manscaped. For the sleekest version of yourself, Manscaped has you covered from head to toe, starting with their brand new Beard Hedger Trimmer. With one guard and 20 adjustable lengths, this device is the perfect travel companion fit to take care of your mane wherever you are. Next in line, who can forget about their signature Performance Package 4.0. Included in this ultimate grooming bundle is the star of the show, the Lawnmower 4.0, equipped with skin-safe technology to minimise nicks and cuts in all your sensitive areas. After all, guys, what can we worse the Nick Snackers. And you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PRICEOFFOOTBALL. Hit the refresh button with Manscaped. More legal shenanigans, Kieran, this time... Uh, involving Cristiano Ronaldo. Yes, um, a, a man who's, who's clearly in need of a few extra quid. Um, <laughs> he is suing Juventus for 19.9 million euro. And this is because during COVID, uh, Juventus, and we explained this before, Juventus, it's, it's a company which is listed on the Italian stock exchange, so therefore it's subject to additional scrutiny compared to um, most private companies. It had put out uh, details of the players having to have pay cuts and pay deferrals. And Cristiano Ronaldo said, well, what Juventus has put out wasn't what I agreed to. And therefore, his legal representatives have said to Juventus, Come on, guys. Yeah, we were entitled to a bit more money. Um, so, yeah, 20 million euros, which is yeah, what, about 16 million pounds. Um, it is a large amount of money. People will say he doesn't need it, but he will say whether I need it or not is, is a separate issue. 
I was contractually obliged to the money. Juventus, which has been subject to a points deduction because of the way that it's handled, the the overall wages issue, um, is sort of giving it the traditional, not me, Gov, yeah. but uh, there'll, there'll, be, there'll be a settlement. I'm pretty certain. I, I, I like the fact that he's gone for 19.9 million because to make it sound not quite as much as Twitter, in, in the way that I will occasionally come home and Ali will say, how much did you pay for that bit of rubbish? And I'll go, £19.99. <laughs> because I think I can get away with that. If I said 20 quid, I'd say, well, that's a lot of money, isn't it? That's £19.99. Our final how, question. How, how many pints have you had tonight? Less, <laughs> less than 12? <laughs> yeah. How many pairs of shoes have you got? Uh, lesson two. Lesson two, yeah. That's it. <laughs> um, our final collection, uh, our final question, Kieran, has the word collection in it, as the more astute listeners may know. Um, it's, <laughs> it, it's about, well, it, it, there's a sale of football shirts going on, Kieran, owned by a mystery ex England footballer um, from the 1990 World Cup. Now, I can only guess that might be the reason why Terry Fenwick was so keen to chase after. Diego Maradona in that game was just to get something to auction. But as he didn't get anywhere near him, it can't be him. <laughs> That's absolutely right. And indeed, that shirt was uh, acquired by Steve Hodge. Indeed. And it famously went for £7.1 million yeah. in auction last year. Um, this is a series of shirts. I think there's, there's seven shirts, um, including... Um, a shirt worn by Peter Shilton, which has been signed by all of the England players, which apparently the, the beneficiary of this shirt, was it was given to him by Peter Shilton at the end of the match. So, yeah, we've got things such as Andy Townsend's shirt from when England played the Republic of Ireland and Cameroon shirts, Germany and so on. And they, 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 they look magnificent, mm. yeah, because the great thing about football shirts is that the older we get the better we remember those shirts because they, they were from iconic matches. Um, the footballer has not been named, which he's perfectly entitled to. As you can imagine, the impact this has had on Twitter groups and WhatsApp groups uh, where people have now been watching the matches where, where England played against these opponents. They will uh, is I, I know I know the name of the player's shirt, so therefore I'm going to look for the end of the match. They're trying to get sort of old reruns of the big match revisited and and so on to try to narrow it down. Um, players are perfectly entitled to do that, uh, you know, because what was a lot of money in 1990 quickly goes by 2023, and we all know that individuals' personal circumstances change. They 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 look amazing. They they. They just look amazing. And if somebody gets enjoyment and is willing to pay money for them, then so then so so be it. I think the guide price for the seven shirts between them is between one hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. That could easily be exceeded, I suspect, overall, uh, because they are so iconic of a yeah, uh, pretty good tournament. Yeah. No disrespect to Andy Townsend. It was a nice chap. Decent pundit, good player. He's not going to go for seven million quid, is he? No. If, if you couldn't quite buy Diego Maradona's shirt, you're not going to console yourself again. Oh, I'll spend six and a half million of that on Andy Townsend. But it, it's it is mainly a male thing. But our, our growing obsession with kits, and also the fact that people are getting nostalgic about sponsors now from the from the eighties and nineties, mm. is incredible. 
Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. It's very kind of them, and it would be very kind of you if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well. Uh, if you do, you get access to our chat community and our regular quizzes. Then you can go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. Three dates have now been confirmed, as we said, for our Price of Football live show in the coming weeks. The Winter Gardens in Blackpool on October the 12th, which is doubling up as the book launch party. The Lowry Theatre in Salford on October the 22nd. And the Royal Yacht on Jersey on November the 7th. To get your tickets, go to priceoffootball.com or you can go to the individual venues themselves. And finally, if you'd like to pre-order our new book, I'm a Fit and Improper Persons, An Idiot's Guide to Owning a Football Club, or one of our other books, or get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt to wear to the Price of Football live gig, you can also find details on our website, which again is priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Monday with our questions pod. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you, uh, everybody, for your support for the show. Uh, we're really looking forward to these live events. We're, we're hoping to have somebody from uh, from one of the, the local clubs at the Lowry. We'll, we're just waiting for formal confirmation of that as well. Somebody who's been on the show. Um, there's a variety of ways in which you can support the, the show. And, and uh, have, have we established, Kevin, whether the Royal Yacht in Jersey is a yacht? Well, do you know what? I didn't like to be the one that said that because, A, people would think I was being dim and B I don't know what the attitude to people on Jersey is to saying things like I'm still bruised and stung by calling Plymouth Plymouth in Plymouth Kieran so I'm, I'm not willing to take a risk on how touchy the people of Jersey are I suspect it's um, a venue called the Royal Yacht it might be how excited would it be if it is the Royal Yacht last time I was looked at Royal Yacht was in Edinburgh but it's a yacht so it could move and there is a sea between Scotland and Jersey, I believe. So Asia's a pretty big place. Asia. There is a sea between Scotland and Jersey. I'll have to look Yacht up what move. We'll, we'll find out now. Okay, we'll get a succession of tweets from people telling us whether or not it's the Royal Yacht. But let, let's crack on with how people can... Uh... <laughs> yeah, there's, there is another way you can support the show, uh, and that's to, it's to go on to your app. It's to give us a review. It helps us in the charts. It helps us with cred- credibility, according to producer Guy, um, who, who clearly hasn't listened to us recently. <laughs> if he thinks that we've got any credibility whatsoever. <laughs> but you could even say you would rather have the show presented by Hulk Hogan and Felicity Kendall. And I think that would be a fascinating programme but it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference to us as far as we're concerned. Yeah, I, I don't know where you dredge those names up from, Kieran. I, I, I have met Hulk Hogan. I've, oh, have you? I have, I've never met Felicity Kendall, and I wish it was the other way around, to be put. <laughs> uh, if I could have met Penelope Keith as well, who, for my money, was always the more interesting one in that show. Yeah, no, um, Hulk Hogan, um, uh, charming, delightful man. Uh, oh, good. Yeah, and also got the biggest round of applause I've ever heard by wrestling uh, Mark Lamar to the ground. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you the circumstances on another date. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football.
that provides some football.